So I believe in God, and, and that's obvious. I'm a Christian pastor, so I believe in God. Uh, but that's not unusual to say that in the sense of that if you look at surveys and polls, most people, most of you believe in God or at least some kind of higher power. Right? If you look around, most people accept some measure of that, God or a higher power of, of, of some kind. So to say that you believe in God or something bigger than yourself, that's not too big of a deal. The more interesting question, the more significant question I would say is this. What do you believe about God? It's not just that you believe in God. What do you believe God is like? How is God like to you? See, that question, that's the more interesting and important question because thinking about not just there's a God, but how is he like? How is he like in relation to you? That gets at things that affect how you view yourself, how you view the world, how you view other people. So how is God like? I think if you look around, people answer that question in a lot of different ways. For some people, how God is like is uh, he's, he's not really a personal being. They think God is like a force, some kind of force or energy out there that you got to connect to. So a lot of New Age practices, some Near East uh, philosophies sort of go in that direction. you got to sort of access that force, get into that higher state. And that's what, there's not a person out there, there's sort of a, a, a thing out there, that, a force out there that you got to connect into. That's how God is like. Others of you, you think God is like, um, I'm going to say like a genie or Santa Claus, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to make fun of you. Um, I say that as a way of saying there's a way in which people think of God that really makes God out to, to, to give us stuff. So think about people who think about God and talk about God mostly in relation to like they won a game. They won the lottery, right? They closed the deal. The way they think about God and talk about God is he's someone who I, I want him to do things for me and, and get things for me, good things for me. In effect, sort of, again, like a, a genie of some kind. That's how some people think God is like. Other people think God is like, I'm going to say like a dictator. He's powerful, uh, big, likely to crush you. You approach life always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You think of God as, as someone who, um, it's just bad things going to happen. And so you're sort of always scared of that. And that's how you think of God. And other people will think of God, he's almost like, he's like the grandfather who fell asleep on the couch. Uh, he's there, but, you know, he's, he's not always around, right? And so you basically approach life as I just do what I want. Eventually he wakes up every so often, right? And, and that's good. But basically he's, he's absent. He's not quite there. He's there, but not really there. As I said, those are some of the ways I, I, I find people think about God, talk about how God is like, and that as I said, affects how you view yourself. It's going to affect how you view other people. Um, what I would do, though, this morning is, is talk about um, how I would answer that question. And, and that question, how is God like, I begin by saying, I think God is like how we find him described in the Bible. Now, I'm going to ask the next question beyond that, right? How is God described in the Bible? And the Bible has a lot of different descriptions, uh, a lot of different metaphors. Remember your English class, right? ways, images used to describe something, right? So the Bible has a lot of descriptions and metaphors for saying how God is like. So, for example, the Bible will talk about God being like a wise and powerful king. So as opposed to being a dictator who's there to crush you, he has power, but he's using it with wisdom, right? Uh, he's, he's with direction. The Bible also talks about God being like a shepherd, that he cares and notices us. Other descriptions describe God as being like a father. Uh, he's a rock, a fortress, a deliverer. Those are ways of thinking about God, describing God. But there's, there's one particular way of describing how God is like that's, that's there all over in the Bible that we don't think about or talk about a lot. 
And yet I think it's one of the most unique ways to answer that question, how is God like? So how is God like? Well, here's how God is like. What do we want to be talking about in this series and how it relates to us? Um, God, that is not the right slides. <laughs> Are we almost there? Well, as they're looking, I'll, uh, I'll say it, and then eventually it'll show up on the screens. <laughs> uh, God, there he is. Um, God is someone who wants a relationship with us that feels like a marriage. God is like a husband. That's one of the scriptures we find in the Bible, that he wants to relate to us like a good husband relates to his wife. Um, now, as I said, we don't think about this very often, and when we do, it comes across, across a little awkward. <laughs> we want to kind of say, well, he's like a husband, but let's move on. Uh, and so let me just, let's just get this straight from the very beginning, all right? When you think about God being like this, like he wants to relate to us like in a marriage, um, we, we aren't talking about 100% one-to-one relationship, right? Of like human marriage could be exactly like sort of like it is to be married to God. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, you know, to say God is our husband isn't to say, like, you haven't, I'm not tricking you, you haven't fallen into some weird cult here. <laughs> I'm not talking about a, a kind of religion where like one day you're going to get to heaven, we're going to line up one by one and marry God and get kissed by him or something weird like that. <laughs> I mean, sure, there's people out there who believe that. It's not what we're talking about here, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> amen, somebody. <laughs> um, first of all, God is spirit. We're physical, right? So that, that's not, marriages are, are based in, in physical realities. We're, we're different in that way. God is eternal. We're created. So clearly, it's not, not the same thing, right? This is a, again, remember your English class? It's a metaphor. It's a description. Right, that we're getting out here. So this is different, but the description is important. The Bible is using human language, human realities to say something that's very real. To say that God is like a husband is one of the most powerful and direct ways to say something pretty significant about how God is like. Pretty important and special about how God is like. And it's this. How is God like? Well, God is someone who loves you. He really, really, really loves you. That's what it says. It says that God is like a husband. It says that God is someone who actively seeks to be in a relationship with you. That if you're found by God and you're brought into a relationship with God, you've responded to God, that means you have someone in your life who deeply, intimately, passionately loves you. Who is fully committed to you. Who loves you and intends to love you forever. That's God. That's the God I believe in. That's the God of the Bible. And let's, let's say this, the way this God is, the way we find it in the Bible, that's, that's, that's not how people thought about God back then. I mean, if you remember like Greek mythology, any of those sort of ancient mythologies out there, the way they describe the gods, like in Greek mythology, Zeus is like running around sleeping with like weird things. Like it's just, it's, it's weird, right? There's all sorts of crazy things in those kind of mythologies, in those pagan mythologies. It's, that's the way they thought of the gods. I and mean, the world will crazy and uncertain, and so they thought of gods as, as someone, as beings you have to sort of manipulate, coerce, seduce, offer prayers and sacrifices to get them to do what you want. This sort of constant battle, tug and war of, of control to get the gods to do the things that you want them to do. That's how a lot of people thought about the gods back then, about God back then. But that's not what we get in our Bible. The way that God was described, very different back then and still different today, is here's a God that you don't, need to manip- you don't need to manipulate, 
You don't need to trick him into paying attention to you. You don't got to struggle with him. This God moves towards you, not away from you. This God moves towards you, and he moves towards you to be in a relationship with you. And not a casual relationship, not a, hey, good to see you, I'll see you later type of relationship. He moves towards you to be in a relationship with you. That's like being in the best marriage ever. God wants a relationship with you of passion and intimacy, of commitment, a relationship of love, of beloved love. That's what we see in the Bible. But I've been saying we've seen in the Bible, let's do the Bible work now. Let's sort of talk about and look at a couple different passages that, that speak to this and that fill this out a little bit more. So to begin with, let's begin with Exodus, right? If you were to look through Exodus, you see the story of God rescuing Israel out of slavery. Uh, you br- he brings them to Sinai, gives them the Ten Commandments. They have a covenant with one another, a committed relationship with each other. And then God takes Israel out into the wilderness to lead them, giving them food and water all along the way to lead them to the promised land, to lead them to their home in Canaan. So that's a quick way of describing the story of Exodus. But a way of sort of interpreting that story is to see what God is doing with Israel as the beginnings of a marriage. And it's not me who says this. It's the Bible that says, when you look at that story, it's God committing to be in a relationship with Israel that's like a marriage, that is a marriage. This is Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. And so God is saying, Looking back over that story, and here's what it says. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sowed. See that language? I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, the way you followed me in the wilderness. In other words, I, they became a bride at Sinai, and then they followed Israel into the wilderness. It's saying that at that time at Sinai, it's almost like it was a marriage ceremony. The law, the commandments, they're like the vows of like, here's what this relationship is going to be based on. God leading them into wilderness is like the groom leading his bride home, right? Leading them to the place where they're going to be and live forever. Here's some of the other examples. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. When I, this is God talking, when I passed you, passed by you again and saw you, talking to Israel, Behold, you are at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. That language, you were naked, it's just a way of saying, Israel, you, you didn't have anything going on. Right? Like, it wasn't like you were pretty and dressed up nice. You were one of the smallest nations around. You were slaves. And I saw you, cared about you, loved you, and entered into a relationship with you. Marriage is one of the best ways we have on earth to describe the feeling and the effort of God to do this. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. And I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Betroth is engaged to you. And here's how that looked like. Now, there's a phrase that's found Throughout the Old Testament, you can search for it if you want to. It's it's this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. Throughout the Old Testament, you find this kind of similar language like this. I'm your God, you're my people. Here's the thing, if you were a Jew back then, that language would have sounded very uh, familiar to you. It's the same type of phrase, phraseology that's found in Jewish wedding contracts. Here's what, what happened in Jewish marriages in those wedding contracts. You'd find this phrase, she is my wife and I am her husband from this day and forever. It's, it's the same type of thing. 
some of the same words being used. It's meant to echo something to them. Every time God is saying that or having that being said, it's meant to say, like, we are in close relationship with each other, like a marriage. I'm your God, you are my people. And understand, what God was doing with Israel, this was like a setup, a blueprint for what God intended to eventually do, which was to be in a relationship with people from all over. Israel was sort of the beginning pilot program for eventually a place in a situation where people from all over, the Bible says from every tribe, language, and nation, people like you and me from all over would come and be able to have a relationship with God like that. This kind of close, intimate bond, relationship of love, a beloved love. You know, I've, I've had the, the privilege over the many years I've been doing ministry to officiate a lot of different weddings. And so one of the great privileges you have of being able to do weddings, as many as I've done, is to be there up front uh, when the groom sees his bride for the very first time. Uh, so I'm, I'm like inches away, right? And when the bride starts coming down the aisle, I get to see in a way that few people see the look on the groom's face. And it's a look of, of awe, of delight, of, of, of eagerness. It's like, come on, get down here, right? <laughs> like, I can't wait to be married to this person. It's a great moment, a wonderful moment to see that, that look on his face as he sees his bride finally appear and they get to do this. They get to be together and be together forever. Um, I want you to understand that's how God is like. If you have a relationship with God in the way I've been describing God this morning, God looks at you that way. God sees you coming towards him and it's not like, you again? <laughs> He's not like, oh, like I gotta, do, I gotta deal with this? God's like, this is what I've been waiting for. God sees you and has the same look of delight and devotion and commitment of love when he sees you. That's how God looks at the people he's in a relationship with. So that's wonderful, but there's a dark side, fortunately, to this marriage story. Um, and the dark side of this story is, well, here's how God wants to be with us as people. His people, well, we, we, we tend to mess up. <laughs> God is faithful in his love towards us. His people tend to be unfaithful in their love towards him. This is what happens over and over with Israel. Israel, throughout her history, breaks her covenant with God. So they make these marriage vows at Sinai, and like the next moment, Israel breaks those vows. Right? They, they set up a golden calf to follow it. A calf, right? This is our God. We see that throughout their history. They follow the fake gods of the other nations that are around them. Uh, and the Bible uses some very particular language to describe what Israel is doing here. The Bible says this is adultery. And again, the Bible is using language to sort of grab our attention, right? Human language to speak to something really important. It's a way of saying, again, it's a metaphor, but it's a way of saying, like, Israel not being committed to God. I mean, this is one of the most severe ways of doing that. Israel being not committed to God. It's not like Israel is not washing the dishes, right? It's not like Israel, you know, failed to, like, I don't know, put the kids in uh, swim practice or something. Like, that's not, that's not what's happening when Israel worships other gods, doesn't obey the law. The Bible wants us to see that when Israel is doing this, it's not just letting God down. It's a violation of intimacy and trust. It's one of the deepest betrayals you could do if you're going to relate to God in this way. And again, this says something about just how God views relationship with us the closeness of relationship God has with us. So close that to betray it 
to go against God feels like adultery, is spiritual adultery. Because this is how God is. God loves people deeply, intimately. He doesn't go halfway on this. God enters into a relationship with people and it's passionate and intimate. He wants a relationship with people. Back at that Hosea passage, I mean, here's, you might say, so what does married life with God look like and feel like? Well, here it is. Well, here's what God is about. He wants a married life with us that is full of righteousness and justice, of committed love, of mercy and faithfulness. When God says, I want a close relationship with you, here is the basis of it. Here's what I'm moving towards you for. Here's what I'm about. The sad thing is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we see this with Israel and what happens with Israel writ large for all of humanity. God is a woman who loves in righteousness, but Israel shows that we human beings, we tend to be unrighteous. There's right things to do, but we don't always do them, especially if we can get away with it. We won't do them. God loves with faithfulness. Israel shows that human beings, we, we tend to be uncommitted and unfaithful. God wants to love us with passion and intimacy, to care about us. Israel shows we human beings tend to be passive. We tend to be superficial. We tend to be hypocrites. We tend to think first what's good for us. I mean, here's a problem, isn't it? It's a big problem. God is trying to have a relationship with us. It doesn't work. It can't work. Israel's proving this over and over and over again. So much so, I mean, it'd be right for God to say, this project is not going to work. We're done. <laughs> like human beings, uh, you, you all messed up. <laughs> this does not work. I can't have a relationship with these people I've created in the way that I'm thinking about. That's what we would expect to happen, but there's more to the story, isn't there? God's not willing to give up. Instead, what we see in the Bible is God promising to find a way to make this work. I'll find some way I should divorce these people permanently, <laughs> but that's not what God does. God says, I'm going to find a way for people to be close to me and for it to work out. That's God's promise he makes. So how does God bring that about? How does God pull it off? Again, we're a hot mess. <laughs> a lot of bad things with us. How is God going to pull this off? Well, God pulls it off with Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see God coming to our rescue and following through on the promise. If you look at Ephesians 5, Paul there is writing about human marriage and the way human marriage is meant to be like. And what he says is human marriage is a reflection of our marriage between us and God, but specifically us and Jesus. But when we see Jesus do God the Son step into the place that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. And it's because of what Jesus specifically does, that Jesus gives up his life for us to make it possible for us to finally have close relationship with God. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Paul's giving instruction here about husbands. He said, husbands, you need to love your wives. Here's your example. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, what you got with Jesus is the evidence of the strength and passion of God's love for us. It says that we're dearly loved by God, that we're beloved by God. So much so, God came himself and died. Died on a cross to make it possible for us to be with him. That because of Jesus, that's why a relationship with God is possible. That we couldn't and wouldn't move in God's direction. So guess what? God moved in our direction. God came into our world. God the Son came, found us in the dark alley of our sin, found us, drew us to himself, wrapped us, up in his, wrapped us up in his love, and said, I will never let you go. 
That is what God did. That's, when you look at Jesus, that is God finding us and risking his life. Not just risking his life, giving up his life to make it possible for us to know him and be with him and love by him forever. And saying the word forever tells you something then. This is ultimate reality for us. So God realizes like, this is something that I, we can't risk this ever breaking apart again. So I'm going to make a way through Jesus, in Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to make a way so that we can have a relationship forever, which means ultimate reality. This world, what this world is meant to be is a world of beloved love. And that is what God is ushering us into. That is what God is bringing us about. That ultimate reality is, is about, is meant to feel like the life that this world is going to be eventually is going to feel like being loved by someone intimately, passionately, deeply, forever. This is a revelation. Revelation is full of imageries and metaphors, right? So we should keep that in mind, but it's saying something very important. Revelation is speaking to the life to come, what we should be expecting. And here's what it says in Revelation. <coughs> Starting in chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb. The Lamb is a metaphor for Jesus here. Has come and his bride, God's people, has made herself ready. This is what things are ultimately about. Verse 8. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What makes us beautiful for God one day? Our righteousness that God has secured through Jesus. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. I kind of think that's literal. I don't think there's going to be amazing food up there one day. All right. I think... It begins with food, and, there's, and it never ends, right? There's just, it's, I think this is literal. <laughs> we are going to be with one another eating the good stuff <laughs> and drinking the good stuff forever and, and, and a fellowship and community of love. That's a story that holds the universe together. That's a story the angels tell themselves when they're gathered around the campfires of heaven. They're like, Michael, Gabriel, like, what story should we tell? You know the story we're going to tell. The love story. The love story of God seeking, finding a people for himself, and then being with them forever. Creating a home of joy and love and righteousness and goodness forever and ever. Amen. That is a story the angels tell. That's the story behind every story in this universe. That is what God is like. So, given that. God is like this. He, he looks to be in a relationship with us like this. Here's what I want to think about as we end here. Um, well, how does that affect? Number one, how does that affect how you should view yourself? And how does that affect and influence how we view community? So how should that affect how you see yourself, how you see your life? Well, just, just think about this. This is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal that the God of the universe wants you, loves you, this is God, right? Like, he's been everywhere, right? He's seen everything. He's done everything, right? Experienced everything. And this God of the universe wants to hang out, hang out in your little life. 
This God, of all the things he could be and do, he willingly chooses to attach himself, to make you and attach himself to your life. Yes, your life with all its issues and ups and downs and all these different things, the God says, if you receive me into your life, I'm willing to come and I will stay there and be there. This God has chosen to do that. You see, that tells you something. That tells you you have value and meaning. It tells you you matter. You matter that God chooses to do that. That means you matter. I don't care what people have said about you or thought about you. Forget them. They barely lived, right? You've got a God who's lived forever, and he says, I want to be with you. It means you have purpose and you have significance. So don't let other people tell that to you. Don't let yourself tell that to you. This God has loved you and loves you forever. And I want to ask, do you feel this about yourself? Do you know this about yourself? Because that means then something for how you get up in the day, how you approach your day, and the ways in which you carry yourself in every area of your life to know that you are beloved to God. If you haven't felt this, maybe you have not yet understood what God has done for you in and through Jesus. You understand, like maybe you're trying to search for God, but like he's too far away. You forget, you don't realize you don't gotta, you gotta look around. Jesus came to you. Jesus is God come to you. And maybe this is the moment where you finally see him looking down the aisle and saying, like, why are you staying all the way down there? <laughs> I came into this room for you. Come and receive my love and be in relationship with me as well. Maybe this is the day you pray and know that for yourself. Maybe some of you, yes, you've come to know God by faith in Jesus, but you never thought about God this way. You've never experienced God this way. You've never known what it is to be loved by God, loved by Jesus with this kind of beloved love and all that that means for how you are and think about yourself. Well, I want you to say that, well, why not? (laughs) Why not? Maybe there's ways in which you've approached your faith that, frankly, are very superficial, or very cold and dead. And, st- and, and, and I want to say, like, there's something alive, a fire of God that he wants to extend, a warmth that he wants to extend into your life. And, and maybe it just begins by just realizing that this is how God is like. This is how Jesus is like. And beginning to let the warmth of his love fill your heart and soul such that you think differently about yourself. And you start to see the purpose you have in this life, to receive that love and to live out of that love. All right, to the next thing. If you've received that love in your life and lived out in that love, well, that matters then for how we view this thing called community, right? We have God's beloved love flowing from God to us. And as it flows from God to us, it then flows among us, doesn't it? To be in God's beloved love, it connects us to God, but it also then connects us to one another in that same love. We love out of the ways that God has loved us. So what I want to say is that if we want to think about how we've connected to one another, we got to think about how we love one another. And maybe here's a way for us to think more about how we should love one another. To love one another in the same way God has loved us. With the same deep, intimate, strong, passionate, committed love of God. That's something that will keep us together. Bring us together and keep us together. That's next week. <laughs> um, but for now, um, let, me, let me pray for us. Let me pray for how we might, first of all, thank God that he would be willing to love us this way, that he would choose us this way, that he would be willing to hang out my rinky-dink life <laughs> and stick with me and love me this way. Let me pray that you would know that 
more and more, and that would affect even just how you view yourself today and the rest of your days. Lord, thank you for this time, and thank you, Lord, for your love. We recognize, um, Lord, we live in unlovely ways, Lord, in unfaithful ways and uncommitted ways, all sorts of ways. And yet, Lord, you first loved us. It's not that we love, as the Bible says, but you first loved us. And Jesus, you are come to us to show that, Lord, to make that possible. You gave up your life so that, Lord, we, Lord, would be forgiven of our unfaithfulness, our unrighteousness, or our unlovely ways. So we acknowledge you today, this morning, Lord Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us, Lord, and pray that we would live out of that reality. That every time we doubt ourselves, um, every time where we're unsure, every time that things said about us or to us, whether it comes from inside of us or from other people, Lord, begin to affect how we view who we are. Lord, remind us yet again, fill our hearts, push it out immediately, Lord. We are known and loved by you. And Lord, Lord, may that affect, Lord, then how we live out of that love. That out of being known and loved by you, Lord, help that to be the basis for us to be righteous and faithful and good and kind and compassionate. It's because we are situated in in the love of God, a beloved love. Thank you, Lord God, that you would love us in this way. Um, And Lord, I pray for how that would then relate to how we relate to other people, how we talk to other people, uh, how we influence other people. Lord, thank you that we can say the world will ultimately be about love. It doesn't look that way now, but because you are God, this is where all things are headed. And so, Lord, uh, may we believe that more strongly, may we live that more faithfully, and may we bring that about more soon, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.